0: podcast this week we welcome riz ahmed try to come to terms with sylvester stallone's departure from the expendables franchise and chow down on much buzzed about french cannibal drama raw hello pod i'm not as you've probably guessed by now chris hewitt i'm phil Desemlin with another of my art house takeovers Your regular host is away taking an actual holiday this week. And that's not even the code name for a new Marvel movie. It's an actual holiday. So if you're in the north of England and you spot a strange looking man in a Captain America onesie seeing the sights, tell him we're now recording the podcast entirely in black and white. I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is Empire's Grand Fromage, the founder member of the Greasy Strangler fan club, who's currently petitioning for a green light for Greasy Strangler 2, ooze control. It's our very own Hootie Tootie Disco Editorial Director, Terry White.
1: That's not actually my job title. That's not. No. (laughs) This is an awkward way to find out you don't know what I do, Phil.
2: Uh Uh-oh. And you missed out cutie.
1: Yeah. (gasps) No,
2: but I replaced cutie with with the other bit.
1: But shouldn't I be a Hootie Tootie Disco cutie editor? Well.
2: You're saying she's not a cutie.
1: Yeah, thanks, Phil. (laughs)
2: Oh, Ooh. okay. Uh,
1: so you don't know what I do, and you think I'm rough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I made you vow that you wouldn't sack me before this podcast started, so I feel like I'm sort of there's some sort of immunity. There is. going on here. You've heard him already. Our second guest is actually more of a brother of lethal cunning, a man so respected within the Jurassic World community, that dinosaurs call him for career advice. It's Nick Dissemblean. Hello,
2: I just got a text from the Indominus. Did you? What he yeah, want? It's a bit of a loose end. Um, what are you suggesting? <laughs>
0: Theatre, uh, stage work Yeah,
2: well, you, you'll find out Okay We'll be popping up in something soon
0: Alright um, Right, should we kick off with a question from the readers um, This one comes from at Matthew Sumption Who asks If you had to have a film character doing primary negotiations with the EU Who would you pick and why? Wow um, You're looking at me I, I am looking at you Terry <laughs> Just because you're,
2: you're right there
1: Okay, so um, Alabama Worley
2: Who Wow
1: from True Roman, right. From True oh,
2: okay.
1: Romance. Right. right. Okay. <laughs> yes. Not our house enough for you, Phil?
0: No, I just didn't know the sir. didn't recognize the surname.
1: Alabama. So, everybody loves Alabama Worley because she's an amazing combination of guile and cunning and sweetness and sexuality. And I think all of those things are super important when it comes to negotiating a great trade deal with the EU.
2: <laughs> so, Worley is her marriage, her married name. So, that's comes from... It's Clarence Worley, isn't it? So yes. They get married. What's her, what's her surname before?
1: That's a really good question. I really want to know that now. D- do we ever find out?
2: Um, I'm not sure.
1: I'm not sure either. I'm going to look it up. Look it up. Keep talking. Um, yeah, so I, I think she, she's one of my favourite film characters of all time. Um, and I just kept thinking, when you posted this question, I kept thinking about that scene with her and James and Gandolfini, where she essentially, you know, kills him. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen True yeah. Romance. Um and she displays all of her best character traits in that very scene. Where basically she um, is sweet, she is charming. She tries to trick him, and then when that kind of doesn't work, she resorts to blow torching him in the face with hairspray and a lighter, smashing a toilet cistern over his head, uh, putting a corkscrew in his foot, and then shooting him.
2: Yes. I'm, the- I'm
1: not. I mean, I'm not advocating violence. I never want to negotiate anything with you. I have Just, a, The whole have salary thing. Technique. Don't worry about that meeting we got. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> It's fine. Uh, I think some of those skills may come in handy at some point in political negotiations. That's a
2: good answer. Whitman.
1: Oh, She's Alabama Whitman. That's amazing. I'm not sure that's
2: ever said in the film, but there we go.
1: I don't think it is said in the film. I would never remember that being part of the script.
2: There we go. Bombshell. I'm going I'm <sighs> to throw Michael Corleone uh, into the mix, just because oh, he's uh, I was gonna say. ice cold. And famously, in Godfather Part 2, he's he's negotiating with a Nevada Nevada senator. And he says the great line, my offer is this, nothing. I want to say that to someone. Yeah. But I haven't had an opportunity and I've been too scared. But it's a good line. Just like you can't have anything. Deal with it.
1: And if you negotiate with your brother, imagine that. (laughs) uh, With me? (laughs) With your actual brother and he crossed you. Uh,
2: Ah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, next time we negotiate, watch out. Uh, Jerry Maguire, show me the money. That's quite a bold tactic. Just yell that
1: Mm -hmm.
2: at people. I
0: like that. What about the negotiator? Yeah. Yeah. I'm struggling to remember who that was. (laughs) (laughs)
2: They're they're both negotiators. Right. Kevin Spacey. So Samuel 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 L. Jackson is the former negotiator who's gone rogue. And Kevin Spacey is Chris Sabian. Right. It's a good character name, that. Gosh, he, good memory. He, he comes in and um, negotiates with the negotiator. Okay. So you could get them both in. Yeah, I like that.
1: If you negotiate with a negotiator, are you like an Uber negotiator? Not not, <laughs> not a negotiator who negotiates Ubers, but um, like some grand dam of yeah. negotiators. Because how would you negotiate with a negotiator otherwise?
2: Yeah. You should get a kind of editorial director style made yes. up. Made up. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. Managing editor. Um,
1: that also isn't my job title. <laughs> editor in chief. Thank oh three <laughs> times, people. Three times it took.
2: So negotiator in chief. <laughs> yeah. That should be Chris Sabian's title. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about other just famously sort of hard ass people. So Alec Baldwin in Glengarry Glen Ross always be closing. Yep. ABC. Um EU is an acronym too, so I don't know A B C E U. It's almost the alphabet. <laughs> uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, if anyone wants to take over.
1: <laughs> what about Ray Winston in Scum? I'm 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 worried that all of mine involve violence. You just so <laughs> <laughs> there isn't much nuance to my negotiation skills. Here's um, a, here's a sock full of snooker balls. Yeah. I'm not advocating violence, people. It's it would be bad in a political situation. <laughs>
2: Well, if we're talking peaceful negotiations, uh, the wolf from Pulp Fiction is... He just strikes me as a guy who would just come in and and sort it out, be very smooth. Um, There's a good Portlandia skit where the wolf from Pulp Fiction comes and just at the end of a big dinner and comes and sorts sorts the bill out so he tells everyone exactly what they have to pay. Yeah. Which, um, yeah. That is a great
0: sketch. Yeah. That is a great sketch. Do you not feel the wolf's lost some of his kind of cachet since the whole... The whole, oh, the adverts, the adverts. What was he advertising? Um, Something rubbish. Yes, I don't know if we can. We I don't. I'm not. Yeah, not even
2: the doors. Well, yes, I do agree that, that that he shouldn't have done that. Bad wolf. Bad wolf. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, the EU aspect. I don't, I don't really have an answer for. Um, a movie character that has knows the ins and outs of Europe. Um, apart from I wouldn't get the French soldiers from Monty Python and the Holy Grail in. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they'd make everything worse just insult people
1: Phil who would you get?
2: Um, I think you'd be wanting someone with
0: legal skills mm. um, so I don't know I wonder what would happen if Sean Penn's character from Carlito's Way got involved wow. <laughs> got the gift of the gab mm-hmm. um, and after 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 hours connects but I think that would probably
2: spiral pretty fast um, I'm pretty sure his hairstyle contravenes some EU regulations. <laughs> out, out question. Unquestionably. I think he'd be shut down just for that. Yeah. Um, um, would Spock,
0: Spock do the job, do we think? Spock.
2: Yeah. D- I don't know. Would he? He's very calm. Yeah. He has that in his favour. I don't I don't think he'd... I think he'd be a bit confused by the whole situation, wouldn't he? Yeah. His stance on Brexit. Um, what do you think, Terry. <laughs>
1: What about about Spock? <laughs> about
2: Spock and Brexit? And
1: I think Spock isn't hard enough. E- like, e- is
0: Why do you need to be so so sort of muscled up and ready to ready to? Uh...
1: I don't know, Phil. <laughs> That's a good question. One I shall take to therapy. But um, I think it helps. I think yeah. we are genuinely in danger of getting completely done over. So we need someone psychotic. Yeah. So I think the the kind of more wild-eyed. I think intimidation counts for a lot in this life. Um, and I think uh, Theresa Mays may not be doing the job, um, although she's pretty terrifying. I have to say, she's um, as tough women go.
2: Okay, she's right
1: up there with Thatcher. You,
2: you <laughs> give me an idea, Gary Busey in drag from Under Siege.
1: Wow, he's, he's
2: wild-eyed. He's wearing a dress. He doesn't know a lot about Europe, but no, he'd. I think he'd get the job done. That is good. That's my answer.
1: That's good. What about Ke- what about? Uh, right, this is weird. Right, what about Kez? what the bird the bird (laughs) right just think about it for a minute right Uh, yeah so Kez kind of you know Billy Casper became a completely different better person arguably because Mm. Kez came into his life so maybe in terms of changing hearts and minds transforming people you know really getting making making these negotiations have heart and soul and emotion yeah and making people be better versions of themselves Okay. Maybe the bird from Kes.
2: I think Kez could you've you've converted me. I think Kez could solve Europe and yeah. the world. Possibly. Yeah. He could fly to the Middle East straight afterwards. Just <laughs> solve that. President um, Kez. Kes for president of the world. Yeah. Okay. Well that's the answer, right? Kes. <laughs> <laughs> We're
0: sending a Kestrel for the negotiations. Uh deal without the EU. <laughs> um, right, should we have some hot movie news? Nick, I think you've got something Piping hot From
2: from the Expendables averse. It's a really uh, Today is a really sad day for fans of Barney Ross Both of them Um, (laughs) Also fans of Lee Christmas Conrad Stonebanks Toll Road And Hail Caesar All actual character names from the Expendables uh, franchise Who played Toll Road? If you're testing Do you remember?
0: Uh, It wasn't Dolph
1: We talked about this recently on the podcast. I'm I think we talk sure. about this every week yeah. on the
2: podcast. The cast list of the Expendables. Yeah, my mind um, has gone blank. I feel okay. like it's Terry Crews, but it might not be. Okay. Toll Road. <laughs> Maybe he's Hail Caesar. Ran- uh, Randy, Randy Couture, I think actually. Right. But um, yeah, so so Stallone is saying he's not coming back for a fourth one. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, A.K.A. Trench Mauser, has now weighed in. He said he's not going to come back unless Stallone does it. Okay. So wow. can the franchise afford to lose Barney and the trench and the <laughs> continuity? <laughs> there's enough Are of you- them to frankly go on. I, you know there's about 40 people in that. Yeah. series, so it feels like it could probably go on, but but Stallone is kind of the driving force, isn't he? This is one of those bits of news where you're like I didn't know
0: that was still a thing a bit. Like I wasn't really aware that the Expendables was sort of a going concern so and I thought that I thought it was very much Sly Stallone's baby. So without him I'm not wholly sure kind of what you're left with.
1: My favourite detail is that they he's withdrawn over creative disputes. <laughs> creative disputes. Can we all just let that sink in for a moment? <laughs> Expendables for creative disputes.
2: I think someone said there should be a plot. He's like, no, no, it's a plot. No room for plot. Too many guns, we ain't got a plot. Room for plot. Um, I mean, the, the third one arguably was the best, which is not saying much. It's like saying this third pigeon I saw today is the best pigeon. But it's... Um, I don't know where that pigeon allegory was going, um, but the, the third one was okay, right? It was slightly better than the other two. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. my, I wrote the review and I can't remember much about it now, but um, I remember Harrison Ford was in a plane yelling, and Wesley Snipes was running around on top of a train. The train scene at the beginning and it had, some, had and, something, and, and, and mm. Mel Gibson was the villain. It, it had something to it that the other two didn't. Mel it had Gibson had more of a sense, of, right. more of a sense of fun. Yes, um, I mean, I. They blew up a lot of stuff i remember that
0: um apparently though in the creative differences thing that that, that sly and Lerner, the producer agreed mm. on 95 percent of things
1: so what's the five percent
0: <laughs> the plot probably
1: <laughs> yeah the
0: plot issue was a sticking point
1: it's, um i think one of the reports said it was certain qualitative elements i'm like that's just what an amazing way to describe it qualitative i do know what that elements. means
2: no yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe one of the character names w- wasn't silly enough for Stallone. Yeah, and he was just, yeah, it was a deal breaker for him.
1: But they can't. I mean, there can't be an expendables without Sly. I mean, well, I was going to say it just lately. feels like
0: it feels like yeah, it feels like the guy driving the car sort of getting out and just throwing himself into the road. So I just don't know where this where this thing goes now.
2: Yeah, I, t- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, 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 I could take. I could leave it to be honest. If they, if they, if this is the end of the toll road um i could i could handle that what else is news this week so there's news on dune um obviously uh, Denis Villeneuve, who is doing blade runner 2047 is uh next up for him is is a an adaptation of dune by frank herbert which is one of the ultimate sci-fi novels um it's going to be a tough one it's obviously been uh, attempted before david lynch uh, had a go um not everybody loved that to put it mildly and uh, there's been a there's been a tv series I think about 10 years ago, which which didn't get great reviews either. So this is a really tough um, challenge to try and make this into a film. I think the book is 900 pages. Yeah. And it's just a monster. And it's got people riding giant worms. Um, are you a fan of gene
1: I am. and But they are on. they saying it's going to be a franchise rather than a single film? Or that's kind of the impression which may help with the 900
2: okay.
1: pages of source material
2: definitely uh, I didn't know that okay uh, it's very dense stuff so that would help mm. if it's a franchise but I don't, is there a, like an appetite for a Dune franchise I don't know
1: no <laughs> <laughs> sorry was that a rhetorical question
2: <laughs> but I, for me the exciting thing is um, we should say who the, the writer is yeah. by the way because that's the whole point of the story it's Eric Roth who um, he's got pedigree hasn't he I mean he did Forrest Gump Munich he's done some good stuff yeah um his last sci-fi film um i didn't know this off the top of my head i looked it up, but his last sci-fi film was the postman ah <laughs> Kevin Costner film so he hasn't got pedigree in sci-fi but you're right he's done a lot of good films um but the main reason i'm excited is is the director i just think villeneuve is like possibly the most exciting director working today i can't wait for blade runner i thought sicario was was brilliant so i'm kind of trusting him yeah He is a great director Mm. and one that we've
0: been excited about for ages. Um, And if anyone can do it, those guys seem like they might be able to, potentially. Who knows?
2: Yeah, if anyone can
0: do Giant Worms. Yeah. Um, Another director that I love um, and excited about, Pablo Lorraine, who did Jackie earlier this year. And somehow has made... um, another movie in short order um naruda which is out i think this week we're going to talk about it later um he is going to be directing a film called the true american and he's got tom hardy playing um the sort of co-lead for that one this is a film that was i think one that Catherine bigelow was gonna was gonna do back in 2014 with tom hardy but she stepped away and pablo lorraine the chilean director is going to sort of take over it's it's based on a, uh, a book called Murder and Mercy in Texas. And it's a small, in the shadow of 9-11, I guess a p- lesser known kind of terrorist atrocity by, by an American terrorist known as Mark Stroman, who I believe will be the Tom Hardy part, who um, went into a Dallas Mini Mart just after 9-11 and, uh, and shot some people, um, including a guy from Bangladesh. The Bangladeshi man, uh, Rasuddin Biana, I think is pronounced? Potentially. Um, he uh, basically recovered and went down to find Mark Stroman on death row and uh, basically reconcile with him, try and find forgiveness. So I expect it's going to be sort of part terrorist thriller and part kind of human drama, this one. Um, and Pablo Lorraine, I think it's just exciting for him to be making a movie in America because I think he's incredibly talented and uh love to see him do more hollywood stuff, I guess, in the way that... Um, Denis Villeneuve has done. Mm. Is it Denis or Dennis? Denis? Denis. I'm gonna say Denis.
1: I'm gonna say Dennis. Go, oh. Dennis. Den. 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 <laughs> I think he wouldn't mind me calling him Den.
0: I don't think you'd have any problem with that whatsoever. Um, what else do we have?
1: We have so, uh, Ridley Scott, who is obviously just about to come back with Alien Covenant, which we are very yes. excited about mm. here at Empire. Um, he has something else planned with Fox, which is going to be based on the Battle of Britain, the actual Battle of Britain. Um, and which obviously it's the World War II historical story that's all the courageous British underdogs overcome the Nazis, yes. Um, and This promises, you'd think, to be a historical drama of real scale, um, hopefully an epic. um, And it's got a new kind of new-ish UK writer, Matthew Orton, who wrote Operation Finale, um, Mm. who is uh, penning it along with him and Matt Charman, who did Bridge of Spies, um, is exec producing the film. So some really great names um, attached to it and, you know, anything... I, I basically say anything Ridley Scott touches. Yes. Turns to.
0: Turns into. To. A movie?
1: Turns into a really good movie. I think that's how the saying goes. Except
2: Moses. You I haven't seen The Counselor, Terry. I like The Counselor.
1: Most of the things Ish. Ridley Scott does turns into really good films.
2: Yes. <laughs> this, I mean. Some of them do. Some of them do. Um. Yeah, I mean, he's done he's done war kind of films before Black Hawk Down, obviously, and Kingdom of Heaven, and the going right back to the beginning, yeah. the Duelists, which is the Napoleonic mm. wars, isn't it? But mm-hmm. he's not done World War Two, and he's not really done a big epic, which I'm guessing this is going to be.
1: You'd hope you, you can't imagine the scale will be. Yeah. Phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Um, so yeah it's um, and you know we've got Dunkirk coming out this summer obviously um, it's not a war movie which is not a war movie I was reading this morning it's not a war movie what is it it's a film about war (laughs) what is that what's the what (laughs) I added that last bit Uh,
2: that was good
1: (laughs) thank you (laughs) it's not a war film it's a survival
2: survival film about
1: surviving war war combat Yeah, it's
2: a combat film um, but it's no a it's not like, don't semantics. call it a war movie anywhere near Christopher Nolan you won't like that okay. um, but no there's some really exciting um, yeah kind of movies sort of set around World War 2 and I hope that Peter Jackson finally makes his uh, Dam Busters film because I'm still waiting for that um, is that going to happen he's built the planes hasn't he <laughs> he's built the dams I think he's written a script with Stephen Fry which happened like five yeah I, that was ages ago I do wonder what Peter Jackson's up to he's just in shell shocked from The Hobbit I think and
0: yeah
2: I don't know I hope he's okay. Um and I hope he comes back and makes some more films. But um yeah, I, I don't know how my my question is how is Ridley Scott going to fit this into the Didn't he just announce five more alien films or plus he's got the um he's got
0: the all the money in the world um ransom yes. movie.
1: Yes, the Getty kidnapping.
0: About the Getty kidnapping, yeah. which is his next I think his next film.
1: It is, yes. Um this
0: this man, it's incredible. Like he's going to be 80 in November. It is Um, astonishing.
1: At this stage in his life to have such an output and still such... Because this has long been... I was reading that this has long been a passion of his and and something he's wanted to do in terms of this Battle of Britain story. Um, And to have that still, that drive and that passion because making films is fairly knackering it's quite stressful and tiring as, right as you enter that kind of decade of your life um so it's kind of remarkable really that, that that his output and you know even just with covenant everything we've and we've been lucky enough to see a bit of footage and it it looks really 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 great and to still be producing films of that quality at this speed i think is yeah kind of astonishing
0: yeah it is astonishing as a group of people that High five each other when they manage to successfully leave the house and get to work every day. <laughs> we stand in awe at Ridley's abilities yeah. to, to to make films um, as quickly and efficiently, yeah. and and, uh, and on such scale. Yeah, uh, I, have, I haven't found time to Google all of his projects.
2: He's, <laughs> he's making them faster than I can Google them. So
0: uh, uh, um, well I done, spoke so. to someone that was working on Alien Covenant last night, and um, they were saying that his. He was giving them direction. As I said, Look, what's your first bit of direction you got from Ridley? And, and they were like, he basically just drew the setup there and then on a piece of paper and just gave it to me and said, "This is what I want you to do." He's very visual, so I think mm. the idea of him making a big war epic um, is pretty exciting. Um, I quite like that to happen. Have you seen the the um, the other Battle of Britain film with Michael Caine and everyone else that was acting at that time? No, is that The Longest Day? No, it's called. The, no, it's the Battle of Britain. It's called the Battle of Britain.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: <sighs> but it's not a. It's not a war movie. It was a long day, though. It wasn't a okay. war
1: movie. <laughs> this is a long day.
2: This is starting to feel
1: like a long, <laughs> the longest day.
2: Um, All right. So, what, have, um, what else do we have? Another director, quickly. Um, Sam Mendes is in talks to um, adapt a graphic novel, which is called "My Favorite Thing Is Monsters." And the, the sub-editor pedant inside me wants that to be my favourite thing. No, no, that's no, fine as it is. Okay. I was going to change it to R. Well, you, oh, I that, knew you
1: were going to do that.
2: But no, it, that doesn't work. So, um, no, they got it right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it has to be my favourite things. It has to be plural, right?
2: I know, you're right. I, I know that now. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so what's interesting-ish, more interesting than that last point, is that um, it's kind of got a bit of a... It's got some sort of connections to... The Road to Perdition, which was Sam Mendes's film, which was also set in Chicago and was based on a graphic novel. That's it. Yeah. Um, but this one is is based on a fictional graphic diary of a ten year old girl called Karen, who is trying to solve the murder of her upstairs neighbour, and apparently it's very very good, and dark and weird and sort of flashbacks to World War Two era. Yeah. And I really want to read it, having read a snippet.
1: Yeah, I had the exact same thing. Cause this, this kind of surprised me with him. And when I um, and I actually, on Empire Online, uh, read this story. And the, my immediate thing was, oh, God, I have to go and buy this graphic novel. It sounds Yeah, amazing. I thought that too. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. But not necessarily like the thing you'd expect San Mendes to do, kind of hurtling out of Bond. Um, so I think this is really, really exciting. Nick, we could buy the book between us and share it.
0: Can we get an office copy of this
2: book?
1: Yeah, This sounds like a really elaborate plug for this book, doesn't it? If anyone would like to send it to us. I just
2: tried to buy it. I'm not sure. Am I allowed to say the website that I tried to buy it through? But it's not available, either here or in America. So I don't know how to get it. So if you're you're listening, Monsters, what?
1: Singular. Singular.
2: Singular. Send me a copy. (laughs) Okay, I'll stop talking. Um, And then I just wanted to throw the Dumbo news. I know everyone is excited about Dumbo. Mm. Tim Burton's Dumbo and it's what's really exciting is Michael Keaton is going to be in it as uh, the villain. What villain? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I just, unless I misread the whole Dumbo movie. There wasn't... They're adding, th- they're adding quite a lot of stuff and I think okay. he plays the owner of the circus. Um, right.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think he... Doesn't he buy the circus and essentially wants to exploit Dumbo? I mean, there's always an animal exploitation villain in all kind of animal narratives right yep as far as I'm aware yep, yep. 101 Dalmatians War Horse war- Lassie
0: not a war film oh, not a horse is there bad
1: people in Lassie
0: <laughs> always they're so, mostly down the well I
1: was going to say I'm down the well um, <laughs> what's that
0: Lassie yeah, is a horse about a war is there ever an episode <laughs> of Lassie where the family learned to speak Lassie
1: well oh, oh.
2: <laughs> well
0: it's just people barking at each other for no the dog well I don't know the dog Every, in every episode, a dog communicates some important piece of information to members of the family who seem to understand it naturally. So I'm just wondering if there was an origin for that. If there's a,
2: doesn't it mean there's someone stuck down a well in every episode? Yeah, and that's pretty much an arrival-style origin story. where limited. they learn the language. Have you
1: ever tried to talk to a dog? Yeah, yeah. I did. What? Yeah. I'm <laughs> right. That's I'm not serious. that weird, though, is it? No, but I, I had a thing where I, I don't really like animals, but I thought, I wonder if I try and speak to it. And kind of move my head and intonate in the right way, then it kind of will start to converse with me, just as kind of an exp- a social experiment. Yeah. And it totally worked.
0: Wow. Did it? Wow. Yeah. Are you now in
2: touch? On so a I'm now basis? in touch
1: with dogs. All dogs what if you don't All like dogs. animals.
2: You're the villain in Tim Burton's Dumbo movie.
1: I'm the villain in this movie.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, the movie of this podcast. But, um, yeah, some people have noted that uh, this is kind of turning into a Batman re- uh, Returns reunion because it's got Michael Keaton and mm. and Danny DeVito. So we just need Michelle Pfeiffer, Chris- Christopher Walken. Um, and I've got an amazing Christopher Walken fact to share because I met Christopher Walken and... Um, for some reason we start talking about elephants (laughs) it turned out that he used to work in a circus when he was very young and his job at the circus was to shave the elephants and i think he was only about 17 or 18 and he told me that the way to shave an elephant is to use fire because their their hair is too too tough to shave them where their faces they get they get hairy faces
1: why don't you just let them be hairy? Why I don't what is know. this the societal expectation of smooth faced elephants? Sadly
2: the interview is wrapped up almost <laughs> immediately. <laughs> but um no, that's stuck in my mind. The the image of Christopher Walken burning with elephants' flame facial hair. And that's the thing that he did for a job. Poor so elephants. he should be in Dumbo. Like this is
1: well, I'm not sure about that because as he walks around with a flamethrower <laughs> yeah. on set.
0: Petter, if you're listening.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This has not been too good for violence or animals so far.
2: Um, disregard all of that if you're near an elephant in the future. And I've got one more, which is Ben Wheatley's
0: Freak Shift. Um, here's another man that does not hang around. He's no. bash bash right onto the next project, which is um, just signed up Army Hammer. Obviously, one of his Free Fire casts and uh, she's joining Alicia Vikander in a film in which people cops hunt nighttime monsters
2: Ben Wheatley's description of this film is amazing he was asked about it recently and his uh, his description of it was women with shotguns fighting giant crabs
1: oh. well now, I'm in
2: you're in aren't that, you like, like, there's God. not a word wasted there
1: that is like my porn
2: <laughs> <laughs> women with shotguns fighting giant crabs if the giant crabs also had shotguns I'd be marginally more excited but I'm already on board um, that sounds amazing, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes it does.
2: Yes,
3: it um, does. Yeah. So
0: Army, it so like Army sort of... Hammer has joined it. Hmm? Army Hammer. Yeah, Army Hammer's joined it. Okay.
1: But because I think he's her. I, I kind of love this because she's the lead, and I think he's her love interest, hmm. which I think is a.
2: Or is he the Crab Monster? <laughs>
1: yeah. What was her love interest? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, 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 no inter woman crab okay. relationships okay. All right. occurred okay. during the making of this film.
2: Fair enough. Okay. Well, I hope he gets a shotgun. Um, yeah, Army Hammer, he was on the podcast recently and he was, he was, he's a nice guy. He's a good guy. So, good news. Good news all around. Um,
0: right. Time for this week's guest. Riz Ahmed first announced himself in Michael Winterbottom's The Road to Guantanamo and Aaron Creevy's ace London thriller Shifty. Since then, he's made *Robin Dinghy Rapids famous in Four Lions, crossed the Atlantic with the Night Elf and Nightcrawler, and the Galaxy in Rogue One. We sent John Nugent to talk to him about his latest film, City of Tiny Lights.
4: We're thrilled to welcome to the Empire Podcast, Riz Ahmed. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, we are here to talk about City of Tiny Lights. How would you describe it? Is it sort of a London film noir is that fair to say yeah i think so it's it's a film noir set in contemporary london and so
3: it's a kind of mix of that really familiar old you know la confidential you know long good friday chinatown kind of Mm -hmm. private detective movie uh mixed with you know contemporary london and what that looks like and sounds like and um so it's an interesting kind of combination and one other thing i would say is this kind of how it Departs from the traditional film noir is is that it's it's actually got quite a lot of heart to it. You know, traditionally noirs are about kind of you know world. It's an amoral world, whereas this is actually
4: one about people in search of their their moral compass. You Mm know, you you mentioned a few films there. Is there any like specific? film noir, classic movies you watched for inspiration before making them? Film? I actually don't do that. No?
3: Yeah, I don't really kind of... Um, once I I try and watch as many films as I can when I'm not working, but then when someone kind of offers me a role for something, I actually don't... Part of my research is never really watching other movies that are similar. Yeah. Um, it may sometimes be watching documentaries so I can learn about stuff and yeah. doing reading and interviewing people, but I don't really do that because I kind of feel like it makes me quite self-aware mm. and um, I'm thinking about the end result and where it will sit on the shelf in people's minds you know what I mean yeah um, oh this film will end up something a little bit like half this and half that and and I feel like it's really can be a bit toxic to think about the end result you've got to kind of just commit to the process of it and not try and control how it comes out and that's tr- true in each scene that you approach as well if you try and plan out the outcome I think it can be
4: e- weird things happen yeah I mean, and obviously you are a Londoner yourself and having worked recently in like New York and LA and Las Vegas and obviously a galaxy far away. Um, What's it like being back on home turf? You know,
3: um, it it was kind of amazing because I was was filming the night of for like eight months straight in New York and then I came home homesick and used to live with my brother and he just moved out and I was kind of just at home like, and i was just itching to, to to jump into something and i wanted to kind of i, I wanted to kind of just reconnect to my city you mm-hmm. know and this was the perfect opportunity we've been talking about doing it for a long time and we'll come to the end of our shoot for uh the night of i just committed and said yeah you know as soon as i get back let's just jump in yeah. and um but that was kind of a crazy thing to do because I was fucking shattered and I was just dead from that from yeah. all this gym work like and just yeah. such an intense shoot and I came back and I thought well you know summer in London maybe it won't be that bad and then they were like yeah we're going to be using rain machines constantly <laughs> the whole thing's a night shoot six weeks of nights never yeah. done that before and we're going to be chain smoking throughout the whole thing yeah it it, it it fucked me up. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was wasn't. I was like, yeah, let me just, summer in London. I'll reconnect to my city.
4: Is like, nah. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. It was intense. Are you? You're not a smoker then? Because I mean, you you're pretty much smoking in every scene. It's like the classic film noir thing of. Yeah. Are you? Are you a smoker at all? I'm not. I'm not a smoker. No, <laughs> I'm not a smoker. Yeah,
3: it actually. Is, I'm almost slightly allergic to cigarettes. Oh wow. Yeah, it will like. It does weird things to me. Yeah. Like, and so I, I'm no exaggeration, I had, just, I had a fever. Oh, God. For three weeks straight. Wow. It was so intense. From, from, just from smoking? From everything. It yeah. was like coming off the back of the night off, going straight into a really intense shoot when you're in every scene, smoking in every scene, yeah. under a rain machine, filming until 5 a.m. Yeah. So when you put it all together, it's like, I, just, I was just fucked. <laughs> this whole shoot, I was just fucked. That's that's really how I would sum it up.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, but I loved it, man. Yeah. I loved it. I loved kind of just being in on home turf and yeah. telling this story. I was passionate about telling it. I, you know, when you're growing up, you want to be a superhero, you want to be a private detective. Yeah. I got to be a private detective and do it my own way and in this time and place. And yeah, so it, it, was, it was challenging, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. It wasn't like just a lovely walk through
4: like London parks. <laughs> um, but... I enjoyed it you're you're quite a recognizable face in london these days was there any sort of shall we say memorable encounters with londoners while you're shooting because it's a lot of on location shooting right i mean it's all in on london streets well more than that i was just kind of bumping into people i knew right oh right yeah
3: it was that it was like yeah. one of those weird ones <laughs> yeah where it was like what where you been i haven't seen you since school Oh, amazing and like were you filming in west london or like in brixton to be like people I knew from music. It was just random. It was It was literally, it couldn't have been more of a homecoming. Yeah. Um, and they were like, yeah, cool, cool. Dude, why you stood under a rain machine? Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Ask the director. Um, I'm not going to let that go, am I? No. I'm just so pissed about that still. I know, she
4: never had an umbrella either. I mean, well, exactly. or a raincoat. Yeah, you- or even a hood. Yeah.
3: <laughs> like, dude, you live in England.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um is all good. Is all good. Can we just talk about the night of for a little bit? Because that was, I mean, for a lot of people in the Empire office, myself included, that was maybe the best TV show of the last year. Yeah, wow. Thank you so um, much. How was that experience? Because it was kind of fraught, right? It, it took a little while to make it to the screen.
3: Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. That wasn't a walk in the park either. Yeah, yeah. You're spotting a pattern here, aren't you? <laughs> it's like. Um, Uh, yeah, I mean, that was tricky, obviously, because, I mean, we shot the pilot in 2012. Wow. So episode one, that's me at like age 27 or something. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, we shot the pilot. Everyone was ready to, it was like, they were, yeah, let's go, let's do the show. And then the network didn't pick it up. And then they did pick it up. But then James Gandolfini passed away. Right. He was originally playing John Turturro's role. And we'd shot a couple of scenes with him it was only a couple of small scenes, but it was like, who are you going to get to fill those shoes? Yeah. And then Robert De Niro said he'd do it, like, you know, know, nine months later or eight months later or something. And then he didn't do it. And then he was here to to do something else. And then it was like, no, it's definitely not going to be made now. And then all of a sudden it got, so it was a real roller coaster. Yeah. And then John Turturro stepped in and just smashed it. So the whole thing was like, as you said it wasn't a it wasn't a smooth ride and then the shoot itself was very challenging because of I mean when we were filming the pilot in 2012 Hurricane Sandy happened
4: right yeah
3: then when we were filming uh, the series in 2014 2015 the Superstorm Blizzard happened (laughs) where they shut down the city yeah um people put their back out like you know it was just crazy i was spending 3 hours at the gym every day in between like massive shooting it, it, it was it was intense but i think again with that it was i think i'm learning that you know people can people withstand
4: a lot yeah, and get through if they really believe in the story. And I mean, obviously, the, it was a it was just a limited series; it was a mini series. But um, has there been any conversation whatsoever about? I
3: think there it, are some. More? I've heard some kind of things in passing about the possibility of a second series. If there is a second series, I imagine it won't have anything to Webinar's, do with my character because yeah. I feel like his journey is 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 yeah. complete um, at least cinematically. You know, and yeah. it's like, I, I, yeah, I kind of love the idea that it was like a special one-off thing you, you get to know this guy and his life and, and and then we move
4: on yeah um you also were in a, a, an amazing american tv show the oa for netflix which is one of those kind of water cooler tv shows that kind of it just generated this buzz all of its own. i mean that was a, a smaller role but that's that is getting a second series are we gonna see you in that um it is getting a second
3: series um i Shouldn't really say anything about that, and I'm not sure if you'll see me in it. Um, okay. But I, I wanted to work with. I just want to work with amazing people, mm-hmm. and Brit Marling and Zell Batmanglij, who wrote that show and Zell directed it and Brit starred in it. They're amazing people. Yeah. Like working with really clever, creative. Bold people, I think, just like inspires you, just ups your game. So they asked me to come and do something. I was like, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, but but I thought it was just such a bold show. It was, yeah. it was mad, wasn't it? It was
4: out there. It, it was out crazy. there. Crazy. Yeah. It
3: was like I was pausing it sometimes, going, <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. But like in a good way. Like oh, I yeah. have to. I had to binge the whole thing. Yeah. Because it's crazy. You know, you've never seen anything like that. Which is. I'd love to be part of projects like that. I'd love to just kind of do things that are kind of like different, you
4: yeah. know? It, it would be remiss of me not to mention Star Wars. Obviously, we are Empire. Now that sort of dust has settled on, on Rogue One, how, how does it feel knowing you're part of the, the Star Wars universe forever?
3: Um, I mean, I just feel really lucky and privileged to have been kind of allowed into that yeah. family.
4: Yeah, to be honest, uh, it feels like,
3: I don't know, it feels like Bodhi needs a prequel yeah yeah it feels like that don't you
4: think an origin story yeah, yeah
3: i think maybe or well, like yeah a three-part origin story okay. <laughs> a trilogy i think yeah yeah that's my feeling on the map okay. <laughs>
4: yeah okay well yeah lucasfilm are listening obviously so yeah we'll... exactly it better be yeah i mean it's it, it is crazy because i mean you're lego now you you are a, a lego figurine yeah have, yeah have you got your Lego? i don't have that lego i mean you should have that i should have that you should be my agent <laughs> yeah yeah they did they they didn't like send it to you for approval or anything they they, they were well, the lego yeah. The lego
3: is very close likeness okay yeah So yeah. They, yeah they nailed that yeah yeah um but the they did send me some of the other toys and i was like what that's yeah.
4: cool that's funny i saw somewhere that um you sent was it 14 audition tapes or 14 of the takes of the same audition tape <laughs> to Gareth Edwards
3: Yeah I kind of go a bit get a bit obsessive about stuff in general <laughs> yeah. so if we don't have the kind of the ticking clock of being on a film set you get I I kind of um I just keep going yeah I'll just keep recording them and just keep sending them I'll just keep going it stops even being about what the hell he's going to think because you know about from the third email he's going to think you're insane yeah so it's just something you can't let go of and I just have to keep doing it it's quite weird and I just keep finding like new things and how about if I do like this and do like that what if he's like this okay what if he's different like that and um, I'm just obsessive and weird (laughs) basically I just did I just did another set of, got asked to put myself on tape for another thing that I'm doing this summer. And I recorded 50 auditions for it. Wow. Yeah, but I don't think it's helpful. (laughs) Um, I definitely end up finding stuff when you do that. So I did that. But then you have to do the thing of like picking three. (laughs) And that takes a week, man. Yeah. So I, sh- this is a bad use of time. So is maybe. it is
4: it and is it like offering options then? Is it? Like- yeah, I want to
3: do that. Yeah, I always want to do like give people options. Okay. I always want to like, and for myself as well, I want to kind of explore and see and like push myself to think of things totally differently, question every assumption. And yeah. there's like this version of the character, and then there's this completely different version of the character turned on its head, and there's this. Yeah, that's what I want to do.
4: Yeah. Hey Riz, thanks so much for your time, man. No, I appreciate it. Come back it. anytime. Thank you, man. Thanks.
3: Right, movie reviews time
0: Let's start with the most exciting movie of the week Unless you're under the age of five years old And you've got Peppa Pig, my first cinema experience Circled in your diary It's raw from French director Julia Ducono I think I've said that badly as well Terry, (laughs) hit us How good is this film?
1: I love this film. Four-star film. Um, I first saw it a few months ago and it completely blew me away. So Raw is the story of a 16-year-old student, Justine, um, who's been raised a strict vegetarian. She goes to veterinary college or school uh, where her sister also attends. And as part of a hazing ritual, she eats raw uh, rabbit's kidneys. This sends her into a spiral of meat-eating slash cannibalism. A meat frenzy. A meat frenzy. So its I was describing it to somebody the other day, and I was like, well, it's a French-Belgian feminist cannibal, teenage coming-of-age horror film, kind of, essentially, but it's also um, a familial story about two sisters. At the heart of it, it's a kind of family drama. But it's famous because during Toronto, which is where it premiered, people were reported to be fainting, throwing up, ambulances were called. It's yes, it's gory, but it's not that horrific for a start. It's incredibly well made. The lead is she is absolutely incredible. I'm gonna do what you just did. Garance Marillier? That was. And I think if you say it up at the end, then it sounds a little (laughs) bit more French. Um, She is incredible. She's very magnetic. Uh, Her and the director, I think, did a short together um, previously, and they clearly have a shorthand between them because her performance is. Incredible! She absolutely holds the film, and she is a real, I think, kind of star of the future. Um, it's very visceral, it's very bloody, um, but it's also a very human story at the heart of it. And I have now seen it twice, as um, people on the podcast may be getting used to. I, I watch films repeatedly when they uh, connect with me in some way, and I would absolutely recommend that everybody goes to see this film. It's it's a one of the more original horror films we're in a good time for horror if you think about get out but it's it's definitely one of the most original horror films that i've seen in uh recent years and it's certainly not kind of a i think even horror may not be accurately describing it as a genre it's uh it's a fantastic film and i would heartily recommend everybody run to their local cinema this weekend
0: that stuff about the Toronto. Paintings has been, like, dominated the press for this film pretty early on. It has. And I think the director's been trying to run away from it a bit.
1: She has. I think but- it's irritating. I do find it irritating because, and, and I get, we're journalists, people like a little hook to hang something on. Mm. But it kind of, to me, undermines the film because it isn't a shock... Gorefest. it that's not what it is at all it's an incredibly well told story it is a story about sisterhood and rivalry and you know and family that's what's essentially at the heart of it and it's a coming of age story you are are following this girl as she's on the brink of womanhood essentially and discovering who she is and in a in many ways this cannibalism is kind of a metaphor uh, for that and for her discovering her appetites both sexual and and in every other way so I think it's a really really fascinating textured film and I think the headlines are kind of you know th- th- this always happens but if I was the director I'd be doing the exact same thing because it's kind of nonsense mm. sorry I just started shouting <laughs> there
0: <laughs> Amen and when we gave that four, four stars four stars
1: a very well deserved four stars mm.
0: fantastic um also out this week is Pete Travis's City of Tiny Lights, which is uh, the film that Riz Ahmed is obviously starring in, and um, he's great. I thought the film itself was a bit so-so. Um, they've done something kind of interesting with it in that they've tried they've taken all of the clothing of a kind of classic American noir and applied it to. A mostly nocturnal kind of West London cityscape in which Riz Ahmed plays this um, basically private eye who encounters all of the kind of low-lifery that you know private eyes have to sort of spend their time with, um, and um, he holds the screen throughout, and it's very much his film. He's sort of the the the, uh, the center the center point of all of it, really. But it, where I don't think it works quite so well is it flashes back across two timelines. So you see Riz Ahmed picking up this case, um, a, a, an escort lady's been uh, disappeared and he has to go and find out. And, and tied into that is some stuff that's happened in his own past. So the film kind of keeps jolting back and forth between these two separate timelines. And um, Billy Piper plays his kind of... Uh, sort of lost love, I guess. And, and she's very good too, and the two of them have good chemistry. But I just found that the the um the noirishness of it just kind of wore a bit thin after a while all of the tropes we are kind of used to seeing from from that genre um just felt a little bit stale Uh, and the plot itself just fizzled out a bit for me so that one was um only two stars for city of tiny lights Mm.
1: do you know i love most about what everything you just said what's that The words "escort lady."
0: I'm so sorry I said that. That was the
1: most lovely, filled, assembly, way of describing.
0: (laughs) It was a bit Partridge, wasn't it? A
1: prostitute, ever (laughs) escort lady.
0: I didn't know quite. I was sort of halfway through that. I thought I really sound like I really sound like Alan Partridge here.
1: No, you sounded lovely,
0: pure and innocent.
2: It was. Okay.
1: We love you, Phil.
2: Thanks, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling mum. Don't um, bring mum into it. So uh, this brings us to Boss Baby. Now, disclaimer, we haven't seen Boss Baby, any of us, in this room. Um, we have seen it as a magazine, so I can paraphrase uh, um, our thoughts, <laughs> which are not massively complimentary. Apparently this this, this thing cost $125 million to make, um, which is amazing. Um yeah,
0: 125
2: million dollars. Million. Are you um, serious? Apparently, yeah. Uh, How
0: much did they pay Alec Baldwin?
2: Um, I, it's hard to say. It has already made that money back. Um, it's actually been quite a big hit in America. So the the story is basically um, there is a family. Uh, the parents are voiced by Lisa Kudrow and Jimmy Kimmel. They have a son, a young son, and a new baby turns up. And basically, the whole movie is. Um, the older son's sort of fantasy of of this baby coming and taking over the whole house, and it's got a suit, and he's yelling and trying to do a corporate takeover of the house, and uh, yeah, apparently it's very hyperactive and uh, not massively funny, <laughs> <laughs> but it has got Alec Baldwin just just yelling for ninety five minutes or whatever it is. So,
1: I mean, see. I was excited by that, just Alec. Ba- I was like Alec Baldwin shouting, Jimmy Kimmel. Like it. It sounds like it should. There it sounds should like be it something. should. Be, it sounds
2: like it should be fun. Yeah, more fun than it is. Um, apparently, I'd have to say. Apparently, at the end of every sentence because I've not seen it. But um, you know, I'm disappointed because I was kind of intrigued by it as well. I like Alec Baldwin, and um, he's pretty good at yelling.
1: He is. Do you think if we paid him, he'd just come into the office and yell at us?
2: <laughs> that would be awesome.
1: Yeah, we haven't got 125 million dollars, but we've got like some donuts i uh, have got some donuts and I've got some shrapnel under my chair. Uh would you like to come in and yell at us? That's an official offer by the way from Ember. This is
2: amazing. You're you're like his character in Glengarry Glen Ross. <laughs> Always be closing. You You're uh you win the steak knife or whatever. Whatever um but yeah, uh come to the office, seriously Alec, and um we'll have fun. Shout at us. Yell at us.
1: Yell at us. Louder. Yep. yep. It's like it's already happening.
2: Um so there we go. That is uh Our thoughts on Boss Baby.
0: Do you think Hollywood's just going to make animations in in due course? Because they seem to make, like, colossal amounts of money, pretty much, across the board. They seem to cost
2: colossal amounts of money. Well, yeah, yeah, there's that too. Um, (laughs) um, Hard to say.
1: (laughs) I don't think so. I mean, there were no no animation in the top... Just thinking about the top five films at the UK box office last year. No. No animations. No.
0: But in Um, the US, they seem to just go gangbusters, like... Yeah. Zootopia 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 Sequel Life of Pets last year they, but they just seem like franchise spawners I guess is the thing but don't know 125 million dollars
2: I can't get I can't wrap my head around that yeah how is that possible according to the internet if that's not true yeah. sorry, okay. blame, it on, right. blame it on the internet you um, could
1: make like 84 of your art house movies for that Phil
2: you could make way more than that
1: you could make 184 of your art house movies for that. I'd like girl. to make
0: one art house movie for that and just make it epic.
1: But then it wouldn't be an art house movie. Yeah, it would. It would just be no, like a blockbuster
0: art house movie. You could, you could get all <laughs> of the that in a village genre. <laughs> set in a small peasant village in space. Whoa. Yeah. i it. And
1: it's
2: just about the people. You could get the
0: Darden brothers
2: village. and the Duplass brothers together <laughs> for some kind of mega <laughs> blowout. Yeah. And us. <laughs> yeah. Know we'd bring to it though. Be a lot of improv. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, I, I'm very curious to see how Cars Free does later this year. Yes, very curious indeed. Because um, that's weirdly successful.
0: Yeah, yeah. Weirdly People successful. love the Cars movies. Also out this week is James Baldwin documentary. I'm not your Negro, which got four stars. Zach Brass going in style with Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine. Uh, that got two stars. An Arnie revenge drama aftermath. Um, we gave that four, and uh, and a pair of biopics um, about poets. Uh, bizarrely, uh, we gave three stars to Terence Davies's *A Quiet Passion*, which had Cynthia Dixon playing American poet Emily Dickinson, and four stars for Pablo Lorraine's follow-up to *Jackie* *Naruda*, about the Chilean poet Pablo Neruda. Until then, it's goodbye from Terry.
1: Goodbye from Terry
0: it's goodbye from Nick goodbye from Nick (laughs) and it's goodbye from me I'm off to wage war against a giant crab with a shotgun see you next week